Here's to the crazy ones. Yes, the crazy ones. The lunatics. The delusional. The irrational. Here's to the joker of the world. The ones who reject what their eyes see. What? Fighting for human rights? Nah, that's boring. Scientific discovery? That's stupid. Inventing a new musical genre? Who cares? Standing for integrity and fighting for liberty? Challenging the status quo? Pushing the human race forward? Blah, blah, blah. There's nothing to push. Nothing is certain. Nothing is original. Nothing is real. Nothing is really creative. Everything is a copy. And nobody knows anything. Not even that we know. And not even that we exist. Hello, Ricardo. How would you feel if this was an advertising commercial? I would have a strong reaction to it. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, I would say, this is how we're led to think. This is how we're used to think about creativity, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for, for a very, very long time. And I guess that's what will make, hopefully, today's episode interesting. Because we are putting on trial the notion that creative people are mad or crazy. And we want to explore whether that is true Uh, Do we need to be crazy in order to be creative? And if not, why we always think of creative people as crazy? Why are they crazy? Is it that they are delusional? Is it that they escape reality? Is it that they have a medical illness? Or there's something else that we mean when we use crazy to describe creative people. And I think that's what we'd like to explore today. But let's put something clear from the beginning. We are discussing whether creativity as such, as a process, is the result of craziness. We're not discussing whether creative people happen to be more crazy than other kind of people, which is a question of psychology, not philosophy. And so it's about our pay grade. Although it's interesting to see that, and there is a lot of research about that. I don't think it's relevant to whether the creative method, considered as such, fundamentally needs to have a touch of craziness or of madness. Yeah, but what does that even mean? Like, what does a touch of craziness or madness mean? If I want to describe the creative process or creative thinking, or creativity as such, as something mad or crazy. What does that imply? Does it imply that the people behind it are crazy, like literally? Or that the people behind it are, you know, they're cool, they are passionate about their work, you know, like the other meaning of crazy. Or does it mean that the process is similar to madness? The process is an escape of reality, is a mental or involves mental dysfunctioning. That's very interesting because usually those two senses are conflated. 
and we tend to categorize as crazy anything that thinks outside the box or anything that doesn't conform to the standards or the status quo. And I think we should make a distinction right now between being actually mad and proceeding under that anti-method and embracing your eccentric personality. Yeah. Which is something that artists often do for the sake of their art. And they often believe it. And there may be some problems eventually, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are like that in every respect of of their personal lives. So if you think of someone like Salvador Dalí or today Lady Gaga, they are very eccentric people. But not necessarily crazy. I think it, it would be a mistake to call them like that because there is a purpose for their embracing that flamboyant personality. Yeah, and, and I guess there's something also about creativity that the more you practice it and the more you, you engage with it and the more you think about it and the more you give it your time, it transcends the the level of being a skill and it becomes more of an identity. So if you think of Dali, for example, and again, we're not talking about artists today, like we're talking about the biggest, the bigger umbrella of creativity. But really, if you think about Dali or, or Lady Gaga, what they're doing is they, they embraced everything they were studying and now they became creative. It's part of who they are. It's not merely a skill that they're that they're doing or practicing. And I think that's why it's a very, very hard topic. It's like in my mind, I always have to characterize and and categorize what exactly do I mean by by crazy. But I was asking myself when thinking about this topic, why is that important even to talk about it? And I would like to hear your perspective first. Like why why is it important to talk about the topic of creativity and, and madness or craziness? Ooh. Hmm. I think it's not an issue. Yeah. I think it's not an issue of being picky, of finding the right word. Artists are not actually crazy. They are skilled or they're eccentric. I think it's an issue of how we approach any creative task. Because if we claim that to produce something artistic, something creative, you need to have a touch of madness, then we're mystifying the craft. Yeah. And when we mystify the craft, when we say in effect, there are no rules that apply here, just go by your feelings, by your, by your emotion, and try to recreate a mad person, then we make it unreachable. We make any creative task, something we cannot learn and cannot practice on our own. And you can see that this is the way that many people approach their craft. Some artists go even as far as to take opium to try to recreate hallucinations because they think that will make them more creative. So there is an issue of we're making creativity not something in our grasp but also we're putting ourselves in danger right if we, if we think that taking drugs or something like that will help us be more artistic i i like that 
I like I like the approach of demystifying creativity. I resonate because when I started thinking about this question, like why do I care? The first thing I wrote was, uh, you know, I'm interested in the in the philosophy of education. I want to have I want to form this principle of how to become a better learner myself how to help people learn better, how to help my child. I have a two-year-old daughter, so how to help her even become a better learner. I'm interested in that. And so, so yeah, this helps me a lot because this tells me that if I'm demystifying the process of creativity, then I can learn it. If it's madness and mystical, then I can't learn it. There's no way for me to learn something that is mad and mystical. That would be the opposite of learning, actually. But then I was asking myself, okay, you know what? Let me see that ambition of mine, that that question of mine in reality. How would it look like? And I don't know why. Maybe because I'm very proud to be a father and I love it. And I was looking at my daughter and I saw her playing with a ball. And then I remembered something very interesting that I see with every single child. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a child tossing a ball over and over and over? Yeah, sure. Yeah, right? We've all seen that. Like you give her the ball, she throws it away. Give her the ball, she throws it away. You stop giving her the ball, she cries. You give her the ball again, she throws it away. Why? Why she's doing that? Like... A one-year-old, why would she keep on doing that? It's interesting. She's fascinated by the world, I guess. Well, yeah, she's fascinated by the world. But would you conclude that she's crazy? I mean, is it an act of madness? No. The opposite, in fact. It's the opposite. But if you've seen an adult doing this, you might conclude that he's a crazy or she's crazy. Sure. Right? So, and and I kept thinking, like, what's happening here? Like, why do children do that? And if you, I think if you observe closely, you'll notice that the child, by tossing the ball over and over and over again, is implicitly discovering the law of causality. Yeah. That something is acting in accordance with its nature. This is a ball. If I throw it, it's going to drop on the on the floor and do a specific action. Now, the child doesn't know it. It's implicit in his subconscious. But that's what's happening. I'm learning and I'm discovering the rules of nature. And yeah. this process is giving her the confidence and the knowledge that she can rely on the rules of nature, on the facts of reality. Because if the child, you know, jumps and instead of landing on the ground, she flies, now that's that, that would be a big shock to her, right? Like that's a complete contradiction to whatever she was discovering by herself. Yeah. And here's what I do with my daughter. I keep on giving her the, the ball. Then I give her another object. Then I give her another object and let her discover what, what's going to happen. And by, by introspecting, I was like, here's something interesting. She's actually building her own independence. Now she's relying on herself, on her own eyes, on her own senses to discover reality. Right? 
Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think this process and these small discoveries are the complete opposite of madness. The law of causality, cause and effect, is one of the most important things for creative thinking. Because when a child learns to accept the facts of reality, he'll be able to learn and build on them. But if that's the case, then the crazy creative view will say, checkmate. Because many of the works that we call creative function precisely because they challenge cause and effect. Mm. Think about a work of fantasy such as Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Like Alice that. in Wonderland. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland works not because the story or the characters are particularly strong, but because you are immersed in a world where things act in defiance of the laws of nature. I think that's a very, very, very vivid example. I mean, the reason why we enjoy fantasy novels and movies and Iron Man and Superman and all these, you know, heroic movies is because they're, they're defying cause and effect. They're defying the rules of nature. So how come? It seems like a contradiction. One of the most important distinctions that we have to make is I think we have to separate or distinguish between the rules of nature and the rules of man. Mm. And let me give you an example. So if my daughter is discovering gravity, let's say, all right, now, and she g grows up with the idea or the knowledge of the law of gravity. Well, she can't defy it. She now understands that she can't defy gravity. The only way to defy gravity is to add something else. And one day, by learning from the science of gravity, she will invent uh, an, an airplane, right? Sure. And then creativity will push her to invent something else and then something else. So it takes actually intelligence and reason and experimentation to embrace the rules of nature, not to defy them, to embrace them. And that's not madness. Madness would be the result of complete randomness and complete meaningless. And I think that's yeah. a distinction here because, because the rules of man are breakable. And that's what the ad of Apple, the commercial of Apple is is celebrating when they're saying here's to the crazy ones. If we look at who are these crazy ones, like Einstein and Martin Luther King and all these people, these people challenge the rules of man, not the rules of nature. In fact, Martin Luther King, whether explicitly or not, he had to discover why a human by their nature have a right in order to fight for their rights. Yes. Yes, and I think that same explanation applies to the case of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Lewis Carroll knows that we live in a world where cause and effect rule. But for creative purposes, he is creating an alternative world, a novel, an alternative reality where this doesn't apply. 
but that doesn't mean that he dispenses with every rule. In fact, he embraces rules of nature. He wouldn't be able to create that novel if he would just start writing gibberish. Yeah, exactly. And he can't contradict his own rules. Right? Yeah, like that's can... another thing. There is yeah. some coherence inside the world of, of Alice. Yeah. So certainly there is, there is a tinge of, I wouldn't call it craziness. I would call it wild imagination in a way he conceived Wonderland. But it is implicitly, I would dare to say, an act of rationality, an act of actually embracing reality and thinking things that, though impossible in real life, actually function and function very well in fiction. Yes, by actually by all means, I agree. But the question is, when was the last time you heard a celebration of reason? Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So, it's very uncommon to hear that in art. Yeah, you usually don't hear it. We ignore the fact that imagination needs reason. The, the classic example that I always give is in order to conceive Pegasus, the flying horse, you need to observe a horse and you need to observe a bird and then you need to make a mental combination in order to bring these together and to make sense in bringing them together. Mm -hmm. So even imagination relies on rationality. Right. But you see, rationality and especially rules, when we talk about rules in creativity, has a bad name to it, mm. has acquired a bad taste in people's mind. And it's because I think we often see rules as straitjackets. Yeah. So even when we think about the here's to the crazy one example from Apple, like, what do they really mean by crazy one? If we look at the articulation, like here's to the ones who see things differently. Well, these are not the people who reject reality and who are completely mad. They are the one who rely on it. And, you know, they, they want to perceive more of it in order to make a difference. They are not fond of rules. What rules? The rules of man. Exactly. The rules of man, which means that the computer should look this way. The, the, I don't know, the Walkman is the only solution. These are the rules of man. No, I'm going to challenge that and come up with a iPod, right? Or a new computer. So I, I think this is an important distinction here. The rules of nature are given. You must accept them in order to live. You must accept them in order to build on them. And if you don't accept these rules, guess what? Nothing will happen. Nothing will change to these rules. Only you, you are not accepting them, but they will not change. So it's a fact independent of us, right? So I think creative people, even the ones who have an eccentric personality, rely on rea reality. They rely. Think about, think about a painter. He has to rely on his materials, his brush and his painting, he formed an understanding of what the brush can do. He can't 
he can challenge that, right? But he can add to it. He can combine it with something else in order to challenge the techniques of drawing, for example. Yeah. But, you know, it's understandable for many to have this view about rules. Because sometimes should, those should are weaponized. Mm. Yeah. We go into a craft, say an advertising department, and we met this guy who is, happens to be the boss, the leader of a team, and he tells you, you should do things this way. This is the way we do things here. If, if you want to be creative, work around that. And that is a case of taking rules as out of context absolutes, which is not unique to that kind of context, which has, in fact, some historical precedents in, in even bigger movements. So if you think about classicism, the artistic movement of the 17th and 18th century, there are great works in the classicist movement, but they look back to the ancient world and they took some rules and made them out of context absolutes, right? Like the three unities in time, place, and action. Every good play, according to their standards, had to uh, correspond with those rules. Yeah. So if you take that and you disregard everything else that you can add to your play based on, on what character you're conceiving or what story you're conceiving, or <laughs> it matters, your personality, then of course rules become a, a hindering. Yeah. Rules become a, a problem to your creative task. And this yeah. is precisely what happened later when the romanticists came and they said, no, we reject the three unities. We reject those kind of rules. And romanticism and art thereafter has been conceived as we are rejecting reason. We're embracing emotion and rejecting mm. any kind of rules. And there is a problem here. There is a problem here because they actually embrace some kind of rules regarding how to conceive a story, how to conceive a plot, how to conceive a character, and they follow those. But we've misconceptualized it. You know, it's interesting. I'm smiling because there seems to be like a thread in, in all our pre previous episodes. Like we're always trying to stress about this alleged uh, dichotomy between reason and emotion and, and, you know, theory and practice. And obviously you and I, we, we disagree with that and we made it clear uh, previously. But it, it, it comes again when it comes to creativity, right? So if we look at how we're trying to teach our children creativity, what's the solution that you hear most in our days? Let them play. Let yeah. them color. Well, but that's not a solution. Because here also there's a separation between play and rules. Between breaking free, quote-unquote free, and, you know, having some discipline or directiveness, if I can put it this way. And, and there shouldn't be a separation between these two. Because creativity involves both processes. It involves thinking logically and rationally, as well as 
experimentation and playfulness and you know going quote unquote crazy and by the way don't get me wrong i love the term crazy and i love it when it donates creativity and you know breaking free and i love reading about it in poems one of the poets that i have a love hate relationship with is charles bukowski i really love his work but i but i disagree with his uh, philosophy but anyway yeah. and he talks about that and when i read the way he describes madness and, and i'm like wow that's amazing so I'm not saying that we shouldn't, like you said in the beginning, it's about the word, don't use the word. No, 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 no. I think what I'm concerned personally with is how does the word stand in our mind? What do we think of when we say that creative people are crazy? And I guess since both of us are concerned with education and specifically the integration of philosophy and creative thinking, I want to make sure that while crazy is celebrated as a as a term that denotes breaking free and breaking the rules, specifically the rules of man, the proper concept uh, that actually does that, that breaks the rules of man, is reason, not not craziness. Reason but again, think about sense. it. Yeah, in, the, in its full sense. But again, think about it this way. When was the last time you heard a teacher or a mentor or a coach saying reason is your guide to life and creativity. When was the last time you heard a father? You heard a father saying to his daughter, reason will give you the confidence and the courage to overcome obstacles and to challenge conventions. Rarely we hear that. When was the last time you heard a motivational speaker crying out, reason will set you free. And if you're rational enough to think that you can change the world, then you are the one who will. <laughs> when was the last time you you tuned to an, adver an advertising campaign? Which, by the way, I think advertising has a great power to affect people's mind. You know, having worked 15 years in the field, like I know the power of advertising. But when was the last time you heard the word, here's to reason? Never. It doesn't sound sexy, right? <laughs> I can't say never because you know what? If you go back to the 60s and the age, just a, a brief parenthesis here about advertising. If you go back to the 60s and, for example, the legend David Ogilvy, you see that. You see a celebration of reason and being objective and, and following facts. and you know. And, but he never meant don't think about emotions and don't uh, attract people emotionally. No, but the integration of both. So, so yeah, so that's my biggest problem is that when I say reason, what comes to your mind? What color do you see? It's cold. It's always cold, right? It's always cold yeah. and rigid. Welcome to the power of philosophy. And that's, that's your point from the beginning that we've been taught all our life that reason is in conflict with emotions. That reason is cold. You can't be compassionate if you are rational. You can't be creative or playful if you are rational. You can't be artistic, definitely, if you are rational. And creativity is not about answers. It's only about questions. That's what you hear, right? Which is the same thing for philosophy. Philosophy is all about questions. It's about asking questions. 
What about answers? Who cares? Why? Like, why? Why this? Why this conflict between the two? Yeah, I spoke too much. It's <laughs> just that I'm I'm really passionate about this topic, and I go over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you see, I can't help but thinking that we're in the middle of a vicious cycle or a complex cycle, because on the one hand, no one is saying this, and and I think very few people actually believe this, but on the other, creative people which we are saying they are an, uh, an species of the rational, don't recognize themselves as such. Precisely because they've learned their method, they've learned their process, their craft, but they cannot articulate it. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's time to explain it... They go blank. They go blank, yes. And they don't have a coherent argument. They don't have a, a principle or, or an explicit principle that's guiding them. So if you've ever worked writing in the past, one thing you will find in some editors is that they'll tell you oh, this doesn't work or this isn't good. And that's it. Mm. And, and you can kind of see what's going on there. But it's because they are moved by a first impression, by what they can immediately see, but cannot articulate, that you are left with no guidance. That's the point mm -hmm. where we're at. So I think the, the biggest consequences, the biggest victim of thinking that creativity is madness, it's us. Whenever we think we don't have inspiration, I don't have inspiration. I'll wait for it to come. It won't come. It won't come. I mean, it might come depending on what you've been doing before. Right? Like it's a classic example of the Eureka moment. It didn't just happen. It's a result of thinking, a laborious thinking, actually. So, so yeah, and I guess this is one of the most important things. And this is where also you see the conflict and the, the dichotomy in this respect, that we always focus on what's the idea, not how did you generate it. We always focus on the content, not the method. I have a great example. Please do. So if you ever went to a Comic-Con and you found this guy dressed as Deadpool or as Harley Quinn, you know he'll act like a jerk. You'll know <laughs> that he'll think that just because I'm Harley Quinn or I'm dressed as Deadpool, I can be a jerk. No, you're just <laughs> being an idiot. Precisely because you stick with the first impression you have about those characters. But if you were to study them, if you were to understand them, to go one layer below, you will come to understand some complexity about the character. I, I cannot articulate it because I'm not particularly interested in, in Deadpool. But Deadpool works and Harley Quinn works not because they are jerks, but because there, there is some, some logic, some brilliant characterization that makes yeah. them work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is the whole point, I think, that creativity is not madness. Creativity is methodology. 
And if you want to teach it, then you have to discover the methodology. And I think one of the best way that at least I've learned creativity is by inferring a method, even from the people and the personalities who are crazy enough, right? Yeah. So one of the things I used to do, and I recommend anyone to do it, is, you know, looking at an artist, an artist's work or a creative person's work and trying to understand what's the method behind it. How did he or she thought about it? And, and by the way, my method might have no relation to whatever they were planning. So, for example, I would read uh, Da Vinci's notebooks and learn about his uh, technique, right? Which is a technique of painting that he calls fumato. But then what I would do is integrate it with my work. And I would ask myself, how can I learn from this fumato technique, which is really a technique of blending different layers together so seemingly that they don't look as if they're blended. Uh, so I would ask myself, how can I blend whatever I'm doing? How can I use this blending technique in my work, in my writing, whatever? How can I use that? What does it consist of? So it's a process of decomposing the work. Yeah. So I would look at an advertising book, for example, and decompose the work of Leo Burnett or Bernbach or Ogilvy or all these great people. And I think that's a terrific exercise. And if we're concerned with education, then I don't see any other way to teach people how to be creative other than methodology. But if the idea of creativity is always inspirational, revelation, playfulness, letting the kids draw or whatever, think outside the box, then we don't have a method. Right? It's loose, it's right. do whatever you want. And then your method of judgment is, is lost. Because when someone right. asks you, what makes this work good? Your answer would be, well, it's good. Well, creativity is very subjective, so nobody, you know, whatever yeah. works here works there. And voila. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't make a separation, a complete separation between what what's your immediate impression from... Uh, your judgment because I think that's your first contact with uh, yeah. that creative craft so you you go and read Alice in Wonderland and you feel elated or you watch Deadpool and you laugh your ass off so that data is relevant and yeah. you should take it as such however it comes perhaps you, you don't find it funny at all or amusing the data and the emotion I would say would you agree? Even the yeah. emotion that comes from it, yeah. Yeah, but that's exactly, that's data over which you need to conceptualize and you need to, to see in layers what's working, what's not working, what did he do that made this possible. Yeah. All right. Um, I, think, I think this is a huge topic. How about we dedicate another session maybe along the line uh, to really dive deep and maybe we can bring someone from the creative field to talk about their experiences i think that would that would be fun so the the thing i want to stress on is i want to send a message out there to all the people who are 
who feel blocked sometimes, who feel that they're not being able to be creative or to produce ideas, to solve problems. I just want to tell you that creativity is not madness and don't accept that because your whole philosophy of life will be destroyed if you accept the fact that you can pretend or bend reality or try to try to break the rules of nature i would say embrace them embrace the rules of nature and keep on challenging yourself and as bukowski would say drink from the well of yourself i love that i love the way he puts yeah. it because otherwise you you'll spend your whole life looking for an answer until one day in your most naked honesty you'll admit that you need an answer and you need to find a solution but probably it's too late to look for it so creativity is yours just you know just do it nice thank you for listening to ideas on trial we'd like to hear your suggestions on different perspective maybe of creativity what concerns you when it comes to creativity is it creative block is it the practice of creative thinking is it the idea that creativity shouldn't involve rules and constraints or should maybe so please drop us a line go to our website ideasontrial.live and let us know your thoughts 